to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Robert Earle, the supervising broker of the Choice Homes team with Keller Williams in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Robert has a decade of top producing experience in real estate and returned to sales in 2003 after two years managing a Keller Williams real estate office. Robert got on the phone, used his scripts, and started offering his experience and service to those that needed it most, home and landowners with expired listings. The results were 116 listings taken in 2014. Now, let's welcome Robert to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Mr. Robert Earl, I appreciate uh, you being my co-host today on today's radio show. And of course, in the light of full disclosure, I also certainly appreciate you being one of our coaches here at our coaching organization. So thank you for both of those uh, reasons. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm humbled by the opportunity to uh, share what we do. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is going to be a fun call. So let's just kind of jump right in with some of the questions. And I'm going to focus the – you and I will go back and forth, and the questions will be focused, obviously, on your experience as a top-producing real estate agent. And then I'm sure there will be some coaching questions that will sneak their way in as well. Make sense? You bet. Sounds good. Okay, so first of all, everyone, if you did not listen to the radio shows that we've already done this week, you want to go back and listen to them. Yesterday, we did a special edition radio show with Brad Inman from Inman News Features. That show ended up running almost an hour. He and I had an interesting little banter going back and forth about the future of real estate um, and really the future and the importance of the listing agent and the individual practitioner. That's a majority of the 100,000 of you that listen on a regular basis are just that, individual practitioners. It's our belief that the individual agent, especially the individual listing agent, will always be the agent running the show, will always be in control of the real estate industry, and frankly, um, has been, for the most part, uh, the individual listing agent, the the um, listing-focused agent, for the most part, has not really had their day in the sun. All the focus has been on buyer's agents, been on the portals, been on the you know, different technology ventures that have been developed for the sake of developing buyer leads and streamlining the the transaction. And Brad and I had a great conversation about the fact that the next wave of evolution will inevitably come. Well, he didn't really like the word evolution, but that was my word. (laughs) So the next wave of evolution in the real estate technology front will most likely come uh, uh, on the uh, bequeath of the listing agents. So that'll be interesting, interesting to see how that evolves. I know, Robert, you listened to that yesterday. What did you think of it? I, I appreciated the points that he was bringing up and getting smart minds into a room and they still haven't been able to figure out in the quote-unquote evolution how to make that connection with the home seller and how to make that home seller process go simpler. The, it, everything has been geared towards the buyer and frankly it's been geared towards separating money from real estate agents. Well, exactly. And, you know, the point I made, and I I think this is true, is if there was a lot, the the premise is that there, in order for technology to evolve or to change or be introduced and be accepted, there must be a high level of dissatisfaction for something. And in in a lot of cases, I agree, like 
DocuSign and those other companies, they absolutely positively are relieving a stress that exists in the industry. They're, they're providing a solution to a well-known and well-established problem. And I'll argue that from the buying perspective, um, I know you're actively buying and selling real estate still, and Julie and I uh, invest in real estate, hardly ever sell anything. But the, I know from our perspective, from the buying side, all the technology that's available now is fantastic. I mean, we really can do a lot of our homework, and I, you know, buyers feel the same way. But really, um, from, so there is a high level of dis- dissatisfaction, or was at least, on the buyer side of things. But I would suggest that the reason is that there hasn't been a lot of technology that's been created to essentially uh, get in the middle between a listing agent and a seller is because, for the most part, the sellers like the experience that they're having. Otherwise, there would be a, um, uh, an outcry, and there would have been technology to fill that gap. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But long story short, I don't think anything really revolutionary, revolutionary is going to happen on the listing side of things for a long, long time. It's always going to be in the control of the individual listing agent. Speaking of which, so after a hiatus of you um, working as a Keller Williams uh, region owner or office owner, you went back into selling real estate, and you really your first full year back, you and your wife listed well over 100 homes. How did you do it? Well, it was an extreme amount of focus. It, it was really out of uh, necessity. Um, not only did I go back into uh, active sales, it was in an area that was two and a half, and if you count in traffic, three hours away from the area that I had worked in in the uh, previous uh, 10 years of active sales. Did not know anybody. All I had done for my first two years in this town was uh, work on uh, growing the office and, and talking to other agents, so I didn't know anybody, and I had to sell real estate. So I had choices. I could either buy business or I could reinvent myself because in the previous 10 years, I would say that 85, 90% of my business came from the internet, that I was a former dot-commer. I showed up great in the search engines. If you typed in Reston, Virginia condos, I came up number one, two, or three. Um, But I wanted to make sure that I had a listing-based business and had an opportunity to do it over again, and that's what I focused on. So it's interesting, and that's one of the reasons I think you're a great coach is because um, a lot of times uh, coaches only have experience in one particular aspect of the business. Maybe it's over-the-phone prospecting. Maybe it's SEO and, and Internet lead generation. Maybe it's centers of influence and past clients. Maybe it's direct mail. I mean, there's so many different ways that um, agents uh, build their businesses, though you have an experience, and your experience varies across almost all uh, lead generation methods, and that's I think something that's really worth mentioning. I'm curious, why did you uh, why did you pivot uh, away from being mostly technology based for lead generation and uh, focus on prospecting and focusing on over the phone type work? Uh, two things that uh, came into it. One is that I had also gone through the REO phase, uh, so I was a top uh, countrywide and and Bank of America REO agent. Um, and I knew that kind of proved to me that I could handle multiple listings at one time. And if I could uh, keep up with asset managers, I figured I could keep up with uh, home sellers. Uh, second part is you brought up my business partner and my life partner and my, my missus, um, uh, Ginger, is I wanted more control over my life. I wanted to have an opportunity for us to spend time with our now eight-year-old uh, I wanted to be able to spend time with our uh, with her her two teenagers. These are all my stepkids, but they're mine, 
and um, a way to be able to control my life better was not to get the internet inquiry that comes in on uh, Saturday at two o'clock and says we want to see this property this afternoon. Well, so that's again another great point. But explain what you mean by that. Explain how being a hunter opposed to a gatherer. A gatherer is somebody who checks their voicemail and their email for leads. A hunter is someone who knows they can go out and grab their spear and their shield, and any time they choose to, they can go out and basically hunt for uh, business. Uh, the why is I mean, you mentioned control, control of being a hunter. Explain that. Well, for for ten years, I could never turn it off. Um, I was actually a victim of my own success in that it was the, the leads were coming in, and I had more than I could handle. And there were two things that would occur. One is I had a, a level of guilt myself of not being able to give the level of service and support that I felt that the buyers deserved, um, or I was handing them off, or I had to jump in because the buyer's agent wasn't uh, available and I would miss out on something. I would miss out on something in life. I would miss out on an event, a soccer game, uh, uh, some sort of function. Uh, I just felt like, as well, that I was always, always on. So you decided, you and your wife decided to focus primarily on, primarily on listings. And it's worth noting that when you, uh, you were talking about the fact that you listed over 100 homes last year in a new market, mostly uh, using over-the-phone prospecting skills, and that was not because of a countrywide REO relationship. These were individual sellers that you did business with, correct? These were one-by-one one individual sellers. We, uh, we as a family enjoyed our 4th of July uh, in 2013 on July 5th, and when I talk about building a bunker, um, we are talking about we had a list of proper, uh, properties together of old expireds, um, we had researched a list of phone numbers, and that list was in front of me, and I did not leave the room until I had multiple appointments set up on uh, July 5th. And the fact that I was calling on the 5th of July made an impression on a lot of individual homeowners as well. Right. I mean, there's only a few weekends over the course of a year. Well, there's some magic little – it's funny you mentioned uh, 4th of July. There's others, too. But where the end of the month and the beginning of the month listeners uh, fall on a weekend and over a, a holiday weekend especially, that is, as Robert just indicated, one of the best times of the year to be working, especially expireds, because there's always the most expired listings on the last day and the first day. Make sure you're using your mojo dialer to streamline the process. And then in addition to that, being that it's on the weekend, most everybody's home to take the phone call. Oh, and there's the added bonus that most other agents won't be working or making the calls. So if you're wanting to really get an advantage in the marketplace, work the expires on those particular weekends throughout the year. So going from somebody who was uh, you know, getting his business from a lot of SEO, Internet, and that was kind of like the trend, I would say, primarily. I mean, it's maybe 10 years ago now, for being honest, back when all this stuff was new before it was oversaturated like it is now, or mostly it is yeah. now, depending on your market. And then you, know, you, were, you were smart to take advantage of the REO market. I mean, some of the most successful agents in the marketplace in the country definitely realized that was a huge opportunity and they did that. And then you pivoted back towards normal sellers. So that's a lot of going from one end of the industry to the other. How did you do that mentally and emotionally? Part of it has been a, a shall we say, spiritual journey. Part of it has been a quest of looking for who I really am. And, and at heart, I'm really a teacher. 
at heart, I'm really a coach. And what I found out from managing a real estate office for two years where we increased per agent productivity, where we added more new agents than all other companies in the area combined to our board, where we also increased the amount of volume that agents were doing, I, I realized that I was really a teacher. And when it comes down to it, that is what an expired or a homeowner is looking for. They're looking for a consultant. They're looking for somebody to provide perspective. And they're looking for answers. Why didn't my home sell in the first place? They don't know. Why, what will it take to get my home sold in the quickest amount of time so I can move to Florida to be closer to my grandkids? They don't know. They need a, a professional consultant to come in and help them and, and, and teach them. And I think that's where I'm, I'm, I'm finally finding my, my, my bearings on that and, and can really apply my skills. Why do you think most realtors are hesitant to consider themselves salespeople? You used the word consultant, but you mentioned you're using it in the context of helping to coach and consult a seller, especially an expired seller, what they need to do to get the home repositioned on the market so they can get it sold. So let's not confuse things here, guys. He's not walking around on his business card. It doesn't say consultant. So why do you think most agents are hesitant to consider themselves salespeople? Um, it's either the association that goes with it, um, that has come over the years uh, from Glengarry Glen Ross to Boiler Room to what, what, what the Wolf of Wall Street, whatever those items may be. Um, also, there is a level of work that is involved with it. Um, there is a level of uh, stepping up to, I know that in the interview yesterday, the word fiduciary was used quite a, a few times. And when you're actually selling something, um, Here's another thing is I, I think a lot of agents don't really bring value to the transaction. They're not knowledgeable enough. They don't know why the property sold or what it takes to get a property to sell, or more importantly, how to help a homeowner make a decision, how to consult them and how to, I, I hate to say it, like you, like you said, to sell them on making the best decision. Coach them, right. So um, when you take – it's interesting, Robert. So we're, now we're going to switch from Robert, the top-producing agent, Robert, the rock star realtor. Now we're going to switch to Robert, the rock star coach. Uh, so when you have a new coaching client, and it is interesting, mm -hmm. a lot of these guys, even, even if they've been in the real estate business for a long time, and you and I have talked about this a lot, right? Uh, yeah. So and they have an issue with considering themselves salespeople, but they don't realize that. How do you help them to mentally, emotionally – accept the fact that their strength comes from realizing that that's the role that they should uh, assume. And by in doing so, their goal should be to become the best possible salesperson that they can so that they can help that seller, so that they can help that buyer make the right decisions. How do you convince agents that it's, well, I mean, it is convincing, but how do you coach an agent to realize that um, accepting and embracing the idea that they're salespeople is the right way to go? Well, the reason I got out of management and got into coaching is, and, and got back into real estate is it's not a matter of convincing. It's a matter of an agent being willing to meet you at least 25% of the way. And for, for you to not train them what to do, but to actually coach them what to do. You, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. If you never step up to the plate, you're never going to be able to help 
the person on the other side. So what I spend a considerable amount of time on the coaching calls doing, especially the first couple calls, is making a connection for the agent of if you never ask, if you never, if you're walking around being a secret agent, if you never ask, who do you know that's looking to buy, sell, or invest in the next 30, 60 days? And who else do you know? And who else should I know? If you're not asking those types of questions, you'll never put yourself in the stream where you'll be able to help. Now, Tim, let me present something to you. If you're sitting back and you don't get on the phone and you don't make a call over to your best friend, and they end up with the uh, Zillio agent that has paid money or somebody paid money for them to show up on the right side, and they've only sold two or three homes this year, are you doing your friend a credit or are you doing them a disservice and a discredit? Exactly. And, you know, it's also interesting that when agents are hesitant to, again, when they want to wear that secret agent, you know, cloak, right, what they're really doing is they're, what you said, they're basically allowing the marginal agents to essentially do transactions with the, the people that they love and care about. And, and that's truly what happens. And then people end up having these bad experiences with real estate agents, and then essentially it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's rinse, wash, repeat. And then it's more, well, I had a yeah. bad experience with a realtor. And it's, it's mostly because you guys are not embracing the fact that really, you know, your job is to be a salesperson. And doing such, you have to be able to answer people's questions and you have to be able to you know, know what questions to ask as well to help them solve a specific problem. Um, what do you see as in the industry right now? What do you see as, say, for example, from a, an agent, agent's perspective, what do you see as the single biggest challenge that agents have nowadays? They're I'll tell you what you said. Well, okay, They're so, looking for a magic I, bullet. Right. Um, That's pretty much it, right? They're looking for that next great <laughs> thing to come along and that it will solve all their problems. And the, the other parallel is if, if, if you walked into IBM tomorrow and you said you're being hired for a $250,000 job, you would have a schedule, you would have accountability, you would report to someone, and you would have incremental measurements of what your results would be. And so in real estate, because we're independent contractors, because there's no one holding us accountable to anything, we don't have any of those things. And so is any wonder why we're not getting very consistent results. So getting an agent to the point where they're willing to accept, I mean, you know as well as I do, a lot of these agents will say, if I need it, you know, I don't need external accountability. Agents who need external accountability are weak or the other skeptical type things, you know, ego-based comments that people make or I don't need a coach. I can do it on my own. I mean, and maybe they can, right? Some people can. Some people are self-motivated. There's no doubt that there's one half of 1% out there that can. So you're in the Keller Williams, uh, you've been in the Keller Williams environment for a mm-hmm. long time. And there's obviously a lot of emphasis on coaching and training and whatnot. What yeah. makes our coaching and training and our approach different than, say, for example, the experience you've had at Keller Williams? Well, training and coaching cannot be a one-size-fits-all system. It is not, here's a model, follow it. Um, I happen to be a little bit more of an outgoing person because of my behavioral style than some other people would be. And... I may be able to strive in a certain way that others aren't. They have strengths that I am never able to play. I mean, I'm six foot five and bald, 
and I, you know, don't have my photo on my business card. So <laughs> marketing-wise, you're not going to see me out on the front of the billboard, those types of things. Uh, so I have to play to what my strengths are, and other agents have their strengths that they play to. So the coaching program that, that, that I really love with you and, and Julie, what you've developed, is that it's taking the time to get to know where the agent is at, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and, and developing that roadmap, that path, to get them to the success that they want to have, that it's not just a one-size-fits-all. Um, actually, it was Inman in an interview where they came up with this term. The reporter did. He said we we take a more holistic approach. I actually never mm-hmm. considered that. I, and truthfully, if I'm being totally honest, I didn't realize how much the other training organiz- or other coaching, and I put quotes around that, how much they are just focused on training. In other words, do this, do that, versus coaching. I really didn't know how far away from a real coaching uh, holistic approach the other companies were. And that and was pointed out to me uh, by this reporter saying that you guys are unique and that you are the only coaching organization that I've interviewed where they do take a more holistic approach. They do take in consideration the person's strengths and the weaknesses. They do help the person recognize maybe if they don't know what their strengths and weaknesses, you know, what they are versus just trying to shove them into a specific mold. And I think that does make a huge difference because it's not just, it's, it's a function of us being able to help people uh, at a higher level quicker that's really the bottom line because someone joins and it becomes a coaching client because they want to make money. I mean, that has to be their priority. Uh, but the reason that they stay for years is because they are successful and they're seeing their success come at uh, not a, at an expense of the other things that are important in their lives. So I thought it was interesting earlier on, you said you are, you are intentionally designing your business uh, and your work time around your life. That's something yeah. that's actually kind of unique amongst real estate people. How did you come to that realization that that's how you wanted to live? I had somebody that I loved that I wanted to spend time with. That <laughs> that makes a, a huge difference um, that goes into it. I started to develop and look out for activities that I really wanted to be involved with and, and, and spend time with. Um, and... Uh, realized that also from from a, a health standpoint, I couldn't continue on at the pace that I was. Um, back in the dot-com days, I remember there was one project that we worked on, and it was a three-month project, and I remember how many all-nighters. We bragged about how many all-nighters we pulled. Well, I'm not quite that age anymore. Uh, so I have to uh, look at things uh, a little bit more holistic and a little bit more um, uh, intentional about uh, where does my energy go and what am I focused on and, and where am I getting my best results that come out of it? You know, it, it, it's funny and something that you will really enjoy uh, is, is that your, your favorite team, the, the, the Ferrari team, noticed that this year they went out and they actually got a German driver. And the German driver is actually bringing them back to prominence. And what did the German driver do in his very first race that he made it onto the podium? He spoke in Italian. He was so versatile that he spoke in Italian. So they got out of their box of saying, we only have an Italian driver. We only have Italians that work on it. And they said, what do we have to do to win? And they're seeing the results this year. Yeah, that's a good analogy, which I, of course, appreciate. And there's another Formula One race of Grand Prix of China on this weekend. So I appreciate that. (laughs) So along those lines, what are the biggest misconceptions that folks have about top producers? Well, 
I went back and forth on this, the top producers and myself, but with, with, with top producers that we don't care about service. And mm. my counter to that is I care so much about service that I've actually taken the time to develop systems and, and, and put tools in place that, that provide that customer experience that they're looking for. Uh, so it, so it, so it's uh, that that's one thing. The other thing is is that um, they'll see me in an event, or they'll see me when I'm at a a networking event, and I'm very focused. I'm focused and intentional on what I'm doing. That could be taken as I'm a little standoffish, but when you get to know me, I'm really a connector. I'm really generous. I'm really looking to provide service, and sometimes that focus can be seen in a, in a different light. So what's the biggest misconception that people have about coaching? Been there, done it, heard it. I heard that. Uh, I, I, I heard it, yet they are thinking of it in terms of training. And I'm saying that as I am also actively involved in an eight-week training program right now with Keller Williams as well. So I'm going involved with those, those training programs, and what the coaching does is it actually shows me, like a coach does where they review the tape, like a coach would do after the game where they, they look at uh, what went on and, and, and how can you exploit the strengths and weaknesses of yourself and how can you also work on the strengths and weaknesses so that you can uh, better work with your buyer, seller, or your opponent, shall we say, or, or the person you're trying to help? You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm glad we're not being sheepish about talking about Keller Williams because they obviously do a lot of things really well. But at the same time, it's fascinating to me, and I don't completely understand it. But like last month, we had 180, almost 200 people joining our coaching organization. A lot of people are always wondering what numbers are and how these coaching companies work. Well, I just gave you a real number, guys. So I would guess that every single month, if I were to look at where the biggest percent of the agents are joining from, they're almost always Keller Williams agents. And I've never understood uh, why, and I think I understand. Actually, Robert, talking to you has helped me understand more. But why is it that when Keller Williams offers in-house coaching that we still have so many agents that choose to use an, uh, a third-party coaching company? Why do you think that is? Well, the, 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 they offer a training and they offer some specifics that show you. Um, I mean, I've read the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book 15 times. Um, it tells you that you need to do lead generation, you need to focus on listings, and you need to develop leverage. The specifics of how you either need to attend a lot of classes to do, and that takes a lot of time, and if you are impatient and want to take your career to the next level, you need somebody that's specifically focused on you and how to take that to the next level. And I think that's where people are seeking out the coaching aspects of it. And they, they tune in and they listen to you, and, and, and it makes sense. They listen to Julie, and it makes even more sense. One of the things that we hear a lot are people are getting tired of having pressure put on them constantly to form teams. Um, and, you know, so th you're about to say something. I can feel it. <laughs> What's your mindset about teams? You, one of the questions you asked me is what is one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my real estate career, and I've paid too much money for leads, and I've paid too much money out to other agents. I have had one good buyer's agent over the course of my career. Those listings that we took was myself and my missus that did those listings. 
So, so Robert, let, let, let's, lot, let's hover, put a lot more money in our bottom line. Let's hover here just for a second because this is really, really important. Um, you know, we talk in our coaching organization about what your magic number is, and your magic number, just to summarize it, and you guys should go and listen to that radio show. You can listen to all of our replays at, obviously, Real Estate Coaching Radio. And coaching clients, you guys can just go on Real Estate Coaching Essentials and listen to this, and you should. But the magic number, essentially, is the, the number of listings you need at all times in order to accomplish your personal financial goals. The elegant thing about the whole magic number concept is that means that all your best focus every single day is not on all the other statically static noisy things that are so distracting. Robert said it well, shiny objects, sort of the bright, shiny new idea, and focusing on the actual work aspect of real estate, which is really getting good at your skills, really getting good at your presentation, getting good at all the things necessary to be a top drawer, no exceptions listing agent, somebody that uh, the sellers will seek out having the level of confidence that when you walk into any seller's house, no matter what their situation, you're going to be able to solve the problem. When you accept that, again, as your mindset, and then you know what your magic number is, maybe it's 10 or maybe it's 20, your life is so much simpler because you don't have to worry about teams. You don't have to worry about a lot of buyer agents. You don't have to worry about a lot of staff or overhead. You sure as heck don't want to have to worry about buying leads anymore. Every single, without a doubt, and without an exception, every single top producing agent in the country uh, in they know this. This is a simple fact. The big team concept, guys, that nobody tells you is that the profit for most people who have big teams is virtually nothing. A perfect example is if you sell, like say, for example, just using real numbers. I'm not going to say the coaching client's name, but this is someone that recently joined us. And they, um, <laughs> this is an interesting, I ended up having this call with the coach after they had their first call. They earned a million dollars last year. Okay, big number, right? And they're in an average area. And this is in actual commissions. This isn't a million dollar sale. So they earned low seven figures in commissions. But they did it through a team. They had the buyer's agents and the assistants and the this is and the that's and the others. And their net, their actual take home was about $180,000 before, before individual taxes. Um, and the epiphany that this uh, agent had, and the reason they joined our coaching organization, was because they realized that they had actually made more net income when it was just them and Robert's same situation was just them and their spouse uh, selling and earning only like less than 300, just a little bit less than 300. They actually had a more net income, more time, less stress back when they actually did it uh, focused on listings and it was just the two of them. And, you know, I have my theories as why our industry has gotten away from that. Do you, Robert? Why, why have we lost that such basic, obvious uh, you know, truth about real estate that it has to be focused on listings? And when you look at the actual numbers that are involved from an individual practitioner's perspective, it is vastly more profitable, vastly it requires less time. What is it about agents, and at least some agents, that they, they struggle with this? It's a three-letter word. It's ego. It, it, it is, as I sit here and I look at my... Um, badges and plaques that I've made over $500,000 a year in commissions as a team, yet year to date, um, we've already cleared more than I did at any point that I had a team. So it's, it's the award structure from uh, a lot of the franchises, not just Keller Williams, a lot of the franchises. It's they the award do. structure from our boards. It's the award structure from our MLS system. And it comes down to EGO. And, right. and, and well, EGO for me stands for edging God out, that, that, we're, that we want to be appear larger than life and bigger than, than, than what it is. 
versus focused on at the end of the day, I'm doing this to to fund a, a life worth living. What does that mean? Define that, if you don't mind. That's a very personal question. You brought it up, so I'm going to ask it. My mother retired last Friday after 25 years of working in a credit union. She was 65 years old, still working in a credit union. She worked longer at the credit union than four of the other tellers have been alive. <laughs> I don't want to be in that position. Not only do I not want to be in that position, but I also want to provide, and we talk about her having the opportunity to move to Virginia to live with me or to live next to me at some point. So if I can help enough other people get what they want, that will allow me to live the life that I want. Um, Ginger and our two oldest are at Fork Union Military Academy right now. I'm proud as hell of them, of the work that they've done this year to, to be good students and, and to be good citizens and what they're doing. And this allows me to not fund buyer's agents, but to allow me to impact their lives. So why is it that our, again, I'm going to ask this question again because you do have a very well-rounded background. I don't think people get into the real estate industry, agents get in the industry with their egos all out of check. There's something about the real estate industry that manifests that. Um, and I think it's done, maybe it's done consciously, maybe it's just done habitually. I don't really know. But the end result is not good on the behalf of the agent. And ultimately, it's not good on behalf of the consumer. Uh, because we, you know, as individual agents, how are you ever going to basically, how are you ever going to retire? How are you ever going to have financial freedom? And, and then we're put, you know, it's okay. Well, you got to put your, you know, your business first in your life. It was like that NAR commercial that they were running a few years ago. You know, everyone makes fun right. of. But real estate is my life. I don't think I'll so. I'll pop out whatever think... you want me to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, the pop up. Yeah, pop. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean. Robert, if you're talking to the the Robert of ten years ago, you know, and you're and you're trying to really break through that guy's head, maybe fifteen years ago with you, and you're trying to give him strong coaching advice, something that would change the trajectory of his life, something that would help him uh, shorten and maybe even eliminate some of the challenges and the learning curves that he's had to go through. What would you say to him? It's not about the money; it's about being the best you can be, and. At the end of 10 years, what do you really have to show for it? I mean, we do keep score, and the way that we keep score in this uh, in this country is with money. And you can't help the poor by being poor. So at the end of that time frame of running, and, and listen to this ego statement, the, the team for the 10 years was called the Earl of Real Estate Team. Uh, now I do business by the by the term of choice homes because I want to provide buyers and sellers with the right choices. So there's even been a change in the way that I look at business that way. So 10 years ago, I would have said, what are you, what are you going to have to show for it at the end of the year? I've got great family. I've got great relationships that I've had. I've got great stepkids that I've uh, put one through UVA and, and another one went to JMU. I'm proud as can be of them. But at the end of the day, what do you have to show for it? And, 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 and what do I have invested? And, and to be truly rich is what I've learned from you over the last couple of years. To be truly rich is when your money starts working for you. So when you thank you for that. So when you, start, when you uh, communicate with agents uh, as a coach or just out and about, and you realize they're seeing everything through their ego-colored glasses, 
well, let's say as a coach, right, and you're realizing that it's their ego that's holding them back. It's their ego there that's causing them to make decisions that's, you know, ultimately not what's best for them or their loved ones. How do you break through to that person? What's your technique for doing it? Because you've done it with yourself, clearly. I mean, you, you're describing essentially uh, a huge series of epiphanies that you had that shifted you away from the Earl of real yeah. estate to the man you are yeah. now. So when you yeah. see that in other people, how do you help them make that same, how do you help them to cross that same bridge? Sometimes it's a thin veil and sometimes it is a large drape <laughs> that is in between the awareness. Um, I, I think uh, we, we, we take them back to the stages of mastery that you talk about all the time. Remember back when you were driving a car and the very first time you drove a car, you had to have a death grip on the steering wheel. And so I'm going to bring some of these items reinforced by what the Coaching essential site has, reinforced by what you are, are, are talking about on the radio show, reinforced by true success, and I just want them to be conscious on it. And then I, I, I think we, we, we talk a lot about the big why, but we, and, 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 and we train that you should, should work towards your big why, it's taking the time, and this might be a couple calls. This might be an ongoing discussion over the course of an entire year where a portion of each call is devoted to the big why. Um, for, for, for one coaching client that I had one time, um, they would get distracted before they went to make their phone calls. They had to tape their Capital One bill over their computer screen so that they wouldn't be surfing on Facebook. Suddenly, their numbers of contacts that they were making went up. The Capital One bill, I assume you're referring to a credit card bill that they were trying to be motivated enough to pay off. That's what you were insinuating with that? You're exactly right. Yeah. So, and for the, But that's interesting that you pointed that out, though, because the big why doesn't have to be and probably shouldn't be for anybody some big, huge thing, right? You know, it should be something small that you can feel like you can accomplish it. And the series of, you know, let's say – scaled down big whys or what lead to mm -hmm. the accomplishment of, you know, he also said something else that I, we say all the time and I do, I, this is really the bottom line, is that when you're talking with someone that has, doesn't know that their ego is out of control and you ask them basically what it is that they originally were motivated by, you know, what was it that they were looking for when they got into real estate, at some level they're all going to say the same thing, freedom, you know, they wanted freedom of their time, mm -hmm. they wanted freedom to spend with their loved ones, they wanted freedom to Made, you know, build enough wealth that um, they're essentially money's working for them. And they no longer have to work for money. So that that freedom element is something that folks lose along the way. They lose contact with. And when you have that conversation with people, where you get them to reconnect with that, and they even feel that sense of what it would feel like to be financially free, if they get that sense, that little feeling for just a microsecond, that right there melts the ego. Because then they're looking at themselves, going, "Okay, now why do I have a billboard?" <laughs> Okay, why do I have, you know, a big team? Why is it that, you know, I'm competing against with the agent, the town over, and because he's got nine buyer's agents, I want to have 12? I mean, you start really thinking about things through a different set of glasses. You really truly mm -hmm. think about things through a different set of values. Um, and that is really a holistic approach to coaching, and that's what we really focus on. So, Robert, anything two, else you'd like to say to these guys? Go uh, ahead, sorry. Two weeks, yeah, two weeks ago I took my eight-year-old to Monticello. And I don't think cool. agents have sat down and when you talk about the word freedom, because that's what my eight-year-old took away from what Thomas Jefferson was all about, they have not written their own Declaration of Independence. 
They don't ah, know what beautiful. they stand for. They don't know if they stand for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or do they stand for making their broker happy or someone else happy or their their spouse happy, but yet they're not focused on themselves. So what is their own individual declaration of independence? And if we can help somebody work through that and develop that, that's what we're here for. Yeah, I mean, this industry is the biggest blessing or can be the biggest curse. It just depends on the decisions that you make. Um, so, yeah, Robert, I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate you being a great coach. Um, Thank you. And listeners, I really appreciate you listening. We're having another great interview tomorrow. And remember, uh, your homework from today's radio show, as it is from every radio show, is to go back and listen to the radio show, take notes, think about the things that Robert and I talked about. Maybe they apply to you. Maybe they don't. Um, and then if there's anything we can do for you, obviously, request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. You know, we get asked all the time whether, you know, we do, do we want to be the biggest coaching organization? I get that question asked probably two or three times a week. And the answer is, I really don't care. You know, maybe that's not the type of thing that someone in my, my position should be saying, but I don't. I want to have the best experience. The goal is, and you can hear it when you hear Robert talking, the goal of all of our coaches is to make it so that everyone who joins our organization uh, is getting what they truly need and a, a unique holistic approach to helping them um, not just get the most out of their real estate uh, business, not the, just the most out of their coaching time with their coach, but the most out of their lives. It's, it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. We take a very personal um, Again, uh, almost a nurturing approach to getting to know you. Some of you guys will want just to basically jump in the mosh pit and being you know, held accountable to high goals, and that's great too. I mean, those coaching clients are always a lot of fun. You know, but everyone's a little bit of a combination of all those things. And if there's anything we can do to be helping you, obviously request a free coaching call at uh, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Robert, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And everyone else will listen. To, will speak with you on the radio tomorrow. And your homework: share this radio show with as many other agents as you can. Thanks for helping to make this the number one uh, real estate coaching radio show for agents by agents. Have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.